This episode is part of the 2017 Ann Arbor District Library Summer Game and has clues embedded in it that can be used to win points and glory in the summer game itself. Just listen for the special sound effect at certain points in this episode and go to play.aadl.org and follow the instructions on how to use this knowledge for personal gain. Certainly don't have to play the game in order to enjoy this episode. This is Ann Arbor Stories. I'm Rich Reddy. Ann Arbor has a rich history of railroads and trains. So, so much rich history. In the late 1830s, the Michigan Central Railroad expanded west from Detroit, reaching Ann Arbor in 1839. And that's enough train history. Let's get to the train crashes. Sorry, a little more setup. The new railway line was first used to transport cargo, livestock, coal, wool, general stuff. Passengers eventually trained, trained, is is that the right word, trained? They trained to and from Detroit and eventually to other destinations in Michigan, Ohio, and Illinois. These trains were loud, dirty, dangerous beasts rolling down tracks that cut through fields and towns throughout Michigan, which took some getting used to. Livestock wandered onto the tracks, Pedestrians wandered onto the tracks. Horse-drawn carriages and automobiles stopped where they shouldn't have. Moo smash crash. There were larger accidents too, and that's what we're here for. The Huron Valley Bridge collapse of 1904. A bunch of freight cars fell off the elevated tracks of the Huron Valley Bridge to the frozen ground below. That's it. That's the story. You want more? There's also a big, messy freight rack at the Michigan Central Railroad Station in 1940. That's all we really know about that wreck. What about a crash in Dexter in 1952 involving a 70-car freight train versus a 250-passenger Wolverine Express train? That smash-up injured seven and caused $1 million in damage. You got us, train crash aficionados. These are your regular run-of-the-mill train wrecks. You deserve the blockbusters. The train crashes that, in one case, literally shaped the things they smashed into. The big ones. That's why we're here. Brian, Brian, stop, 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 stop. Here we go. It was a hot midsummer night in 1927, and the engine on a fully loaded freight train just couldn't finish the job. The train had run through town and was slowly chugging west uphill near the Washtenaw County Fairgrounds, where Vets Park is today. The engine strained and wheezed, but couldn't pull the heavy cars to the top of the hill. The train was at a dead stop. It was getting late, and they were afraid to burn the engine out on that Jackson Road incline, so they came up with a solution. The railmen split the cars and moved each section up the incline separately. It was hot. It was getting late. A recipe for an accident. The crew failed to adequately rejoin two sections of the train, and four fully loaded freight cars began slowly, slowly sliding down the hill, heading east towards downtown. The cars went so slow at first, those big metal wheels turning a little faster after every revolution. At first rolling no faster than you can walk, rolling ever faster, one mile outside downtown. Freight cars weighed tons, and the men in their puny man flesh had no way to stop them. The conductor, Fern Garn, hung onto the side of the train, desperately trying to think of a solution, praying out loud and under his breath that the freight cars would stop. The train gained speed going down the hill. 
He was probably going 40 miles per hour when it hit the first curve in the tracks, where Jackson turns into Huron at Dexter Avenue. The wheels screeched, but the four cars stayed on the tracks, picking up even more speed with Ann Arbor's modest downtown looming in the distance. This is where the train cars really got going. They rolled under the Ann Arbor Railroad Viaduct, crossed Ashley, and headed for the sharp bend at Main Street. Even though the train was now traveling uphill, it had gained enough speed to make it clear to the conductor that this bend would be a problem. He chose this moment to jump for his life. He survived, but was knocked unconscious following the leap and missed the big finale. One person who wasn't asleep was the night janitor at the Times News. He was on the upper floor cleaning the offices that night when he heard a steadily approaching rumble. He was used to seeing trains casually roll through downtown, and he knew this was something different. He looked west as the four runaway freight cars headed at speed to the corner of Huron and Maine on a trajectory that would take them either all the way up Huron, which had no tracks, or straight into the Farmers and Mechanics Bank, which is the PNC Bank today. Sure enough, those four fully loaded freight cars jumped the tracks and plowed straight into the lobby of the bank, traveling about 50 miles per hour. The impact pulverized the side of the building and threw up clouds of dust so thick that people staggering into the street to survey the crash could barely see each other. Late night diners at two restaurants beside the bank, Prochnow's Dairy and the Sugar Bowl, heard the rumble and felt the impact and thought the crash was an earthquake. The restaurant walls bulged and bricks flew into the street. People were knocked right off their stools. Remarkably, no one was hurt. One of the bank's board of directors was later quoted as saying, quote, this is the largest deposit in the history of the Farmers and Mechanics Bank. I hope we shall never have another like it. The damage to the bank has long been repaired. Not so with our next train crash, which happened two years later in Ypsilanti. A freight train passing through Depot Town on the morning of January 21st, 1929 would become intimately acquainted with Ypsilanti soon enough. Michigan Central baggage handler Fred Beck heard a peculiar sound and looked up as the 85-car freight train passing through town rolled by. He noticed one of the wheels of the car was off the track, hanging dangerously to the side. This is bad news, especially for an 85-car freight train passing through a town. Trains this heavy aren't easy to stop. They tried, but not in time to prevent car number 12 from bouncing off the track uncoupling from the rest of the train and skidding across Cross Street and smashing into the side of the building next to the tracks. A building that today houses a restaurant many of you know as Sidetrack Bar and Grill. Back then, this was the Caldwell Building. The ground floor was a restaurant run by Bert and Sestia Olette. The Caldwells lived on the upper floor. At the time of the crash, Mrs. Caldwell was out back, but the Olettes were busy in the restaurant preparing for the morning rush. The freight car wasn't traveling 50 miles an hour like the Ann Arbor Bank crash, but a runaway freight car can cause a ton of damage regardless of speed. The car hit the side of the building nearest the tracks, caving in the east wall and blowing many of the Caldwell's household effects into the street. The roof on the side of the building sagged for a bit until it completely collapsed. The restaurant too was disemboweled, the shock of the collision sending tables, chairs, and restaurant things onto the tracks and into the street. The Alettes miraculously survived. Bert escaped with minor cuts and bruises, while Sestia suffered a broken arm and fractured skull. 
The crash made it possible to have a perfect view inside the Caldwell's home on the second floor, while it destroyed a portion of the restaurant and sent the Alette's cash register tumbling into the rubble. The crash site was roped off by the authorities, who tried to make sense of the damage and take care of the injured. That cash register was eventually recovered, but it was empty. Mrs. Olette's purse was also found, but the money and checks within had been removed. Mrs. Caldwell also had a canary named Bobby, whose cage flew from the second story into the street when the wall caved in. When rescue workers found the beaten up cage, it was empty, and they feared the worst. But several hours later, Bobby was found in a pile of rubble, shell-shocked and dusty, but otherwise okay. The building was another story. The crash caved in the corner, collapsed part of the roof, and created an odd 45-degree angle of damage. Rather than rebuild that section to make the building whole, they walled everything off, creating the shape you see today. Sidetrack uses this old, caved-in section as an outdoor patio, where people eat, drink, and cheer the trains that roll by, hoping that they all stay on the tracks. Ann Arbor Stories is presented by Rumble Pack Media in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. This episode was written and read by Choo Choo Rich Reddy with sound and audio engineering by Brian Peters. Thanks to the AADL and their archive staff for their tireless work digitizing Ann Arbor's past. Visit oldnews.aadl.org. Take a look around at all the amazing things they uncover every day. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ann Arbor Stories or email us at annarborstories at gmail.com and ask us questions about Ann Arbor's past or tell us how we're doing. Thanks again for listening.